We're in part three of this series that we've been in uh, called I Am, just talking about these different statements that Jesus has, has said about himself. And today I actually get to share with you uh, one of my favorite I Am statements that Jesus had said. And when Pastor Mark asked me if I wanted to preach today, I was like, absolutely. And he said, what, what are you going to preach? I was like, I'm doing the I Am, and I'm not going to tell you yet because we're going to get there. But it is one of my favorites. Uh, so since you've got your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and open up to John chapter 14 today. You can either open up your Bibles or get on the YouVersion app and follow along. And I'm just going to preface this message and say, uh, I don't have, a, I'm just giving you all a lot of scripture, but I don't really have a whole lot of points that are going to be on the screen. There's going to be a couple, but really I'm just going to preach today. Is that okay with y'all? Uh, I'm just going to give you what God's deposited in my spirit and what he's been working on the inside of me, and I'm just going to let y'all, y'all hear it. So we're going to read it together, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God, we come to you today thanking you for this moment that we have around your word. Lord, would you reveal yourself? Would you make these words come alive as we acknowledge you and come to an understanding of what it really means to know you as the way, the truth, and the life? Father, I pray that it would not be my words that is spoken, but it would be your words that are just flowing through me. God, I pray that the hearts would be ready to receive what you have, their ears would be attentive, Lord, and that we would respond to you as the way you would see fit. And I just pray that you're glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So there is this man by the name of Brandon Webb. He is actually a master sniper instructor in the U.S. Navy. And several years ago, in my early 20s, I read a book by him called The Red Circle. And it was such a good book. Here recently, I picked it back up and started reading it again. Well, Brandon Webb, you might not be familiar with that name, but you would be very familiar with a name, I would hope, that he actually trained uh, underneath him, who was uh, Chris Kyle, American sniper. You might be familiar with that name, one of the most decorated snipers in U.S. history. He's made all these achievements, and we know that he sadly died a, a tragic death. But Brandon Webb was actually uh, his sniper instructor. So he writes this book called The Red Circle, and as he's opening up the very first chapter, I think on like the second page of chapter one, he tells this story of, a, of rites of passages. And so he's talking about uh, different cultures and their rites of passages. He talks about uh, Native Americans and different people around the world. And he shares a personal story of a rite of passage that his uh, father had done with him. So when Brandon Webb turned 16 years old, his, him and his dad got on the boat, and they lived near the Pacific Ocean. So they uh, got in his dad's boat. They drove out to sea. And once they got out so far, Brandon Webb's dad threw him overboard and said, um, good luck, son. I need you to find your way home. Uh, I hope that you can navigate these rough waters and uh, find your way home. I'll see you there. Hope to see you soon. And his dad just leaves. And he, he's like, what am I supposed to do? I am 16 years old. I don't 
there's probably sharks all around me. I would have done peed myself. He is like, how do I navigate this place and get back to shore and find my way back home? And when I was reading that, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so many of us that maybe our dad hasn't physically thrown us overboard at 16 year old and, and just said, hey, find your way back home. But we feel like we've just been placed in this life and just have to figure it out. Like you have to navigate how to live this life, how to do certain things. Maybe you've been blessed and you had amazing parents that showed you the way how to, how to start your life, how to get a job, how to save money, how to budget, how to, to do all of these things. Or maybe you're on the opposite side where you didn't have good parents and they, they just lived a rough life. Maybe you didn't have a good relationship with them. And maybe you just feel like my parents have just pushed me out into this world and now I just have to figure it, figure it all out on my own. This is, this is terrible. What am I going to do? I don't want to end up like them. Maybe, maybe you find yourself on one end of those spectrums. But here's the thing I love about, about this perspective is that no matter if you had great parents or you had uh, bad parents and you don't know what you're doing, the thing is we have this this word right here that gives us the directions to find our way back uh, and find our way through this life and navigate through this life. And so leading up to this chapter here, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're gathering together. They're about to have a festival. And Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples. And he was actually, while he was washing the feet of uh, Peter, he was washing his feet. And he said, hey guys, uh, this is why I'm washing your feet because your whole body's clean. And those that have their body clean, they only need to have their feet washed. And um, he looks at him and says, all of y'all are clean. Like you disciples, y'all are great. Y'all are clean except for one of y'all. One of you, you're completely dirty. And what he was alluding to in this, in this uh, chapter, chapter 13, he was alluding to the fact that he knew that one of his disciples was about to betray him. So he goes on to tell all the disciples as he's washing their feet, hey, what's about to happen to me is actually to fulfill scripture. When one of y'all betrays me, that's Psalms 41 verse 9, that he who shared bread with me has now uh, forsaken me, has turned against me. So he says, very truly, I tell you, that by the end of the night, one of you will betray me. This obviously freaked all the disciples out. They're looking around. It's like, is it you? Is it you? Is it me? Do I not even know that I'm going to betray Jesus? And so they're pointing all these fingers out at one another. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was actually leaned back and he was leaning against Jesus. And so Peter, Peter looks over at John and he says, hey, John, lean over to Jesus and ask him who he's talking about. I need to know. I need to know. Give me the inside scoop. So John leans up to Jesus and he's like, hey, Jesus, who's going to betray you? And Jesus goes, he takes this bread and he says, the one to whom I give this bread after I dip it, that is who will betray me. And immediately uh, Jesus dips this bread. He gives it to Judas. Uh, people still don't even know what's going on at the moment. Judas leaves. Jesus tells him, hey, what you're about to do, go and do it quickly. So Judas leaves. Judas was actually in charge of uh, all the money and stuff for, for the disciples. So they were under the assumption that he was going to go get some supplies and food and drinks for this festival that they were getting ready to have. And when Judas leaves, he Jesus turns to Peter and he says, hey, Peter, you're about to deny me three times. And Peter's like, what? I would not... I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. I've been walking with you for, for three years. Why, why would I do this? And he tells all the other disciples, he says, guys, listen, I just, I got to be honest with you. I'm not going to be here much longer. And where I'm going, you, can, you can't follow me. And so that's actually where we pick up here in chapter 14. We see these disciples who are confused. 
They're angry. They're upset. Here's this rabbi that they had given their life to and, and followed for the last three years. And he's hit, sitting here telling them, hey, where I'm, I'm about to go, you can't come with me anymore. And he looks at them and he says this in verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We read this story and we read it from the perspective of, hey, we know what's, what's about to happen. We know that Jesus is getting ready to the cross. These guys are panicking. They're like, what? What do you mean you're going to leave? Jesus, you're, you're leaving us? Where, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What are you going to do now that you're leaving us? Jesus, you can't leave us like this. In the middle of all this confusion and hurt and anger and anxiety, Jesus is like, hey, guys, breathe. Calm down. Take a deep breath. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here's the thing that kills me. Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be beaten. He knows he's about to go on a cross and he's going to die for, for all of these people. And even in the middle of all this anxiousness and being angry and scared, despite all of that that he's feeling, he is still ministering to these disciples and leading them as their shepherd and just saying, hey, be calm believe in me. It's going to be okay. And I just think, man, that speaks so well to the heart of God and just his heart for us. Jesus goes on to say in verse two, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Listen, if you're living your life right now and you're going through the motions and you feel like just something isn't right inside you, you feel like this, why don't I feel like I belong? Why can't I just get connected to the body? Why do I feel like things at my work are just stressful and I, I don't like those people and I just have all this discord with people? Why do I feel like I don't belong in this place? Like I feel misplaced, like this just isn't where I belong. If you have any of those feelings, let me, let me assure you that is normal absolutely normal because you're right. This world is not your home. God's desire is not for you to live here and live your life and go to uh, have kids and have a job and do all this and retire and then die and that be the end of your story. That's, that's not God's desire for you. God's desire for you is to find salvation in him and discover that you have a home in eternity that is found only in him. That's why Jesus said he went away to prepare a place for his disciples. And he went there. He did that to prepare a place for them, but he also did it to prepare a place for you. He said, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I love this. And he's not, he's not referring to like this other place that he's going. He's talking about going to heaven. And heaven is not heaven because of pearly gates and streets of gold that, that we hear about. No, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And he's not talking about his father's house here on earth. I was, I was cracking up this entire time I was uh, uh, writing this sermon. I was thinking about all you early 2000s, late 90s, early Christians that were like into audio adrenaline, all I could hear in my head was big, big house. It's my father's house. That's all I could hear all week long. And I was like, Caleb, can you like do that song? He said, no, I'm not doing that song. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not talking about his father's house here on earth. 
He's not going to the next town over and like, hey, guys, I'll see you over there at the next town. I'm going to go expand my carpentry business and build a house for my father. No, he's not talking about a home here on earth. He's talking about a home in heaven that he wants you to dwell in with him forever, a home that you were made for, a home that was made specifically for you. This place is not it. That place that you're going to go after you eat KFC and you go home and you take a Sunday afternoon nap, that is not your final home. That void that you're feeling in your life, it can only be filled by the peace that is found in security in Jesus Christ. This home that Jesus wants us to come to, it is a very, very real place. Heaven and hell are real, and he wants you to find your eternity in him. God's house has many, 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 many rooms in it. But what good is a massive house if there's nobody to fill it? He wants them filled up. He wants you to help other lost people find their way home. This place that Jesus is talking about, it was prepared for you. Jesus did not come to ransom his life and just for us to deny him three times like Peter did. He did not ransom his life just for us to spend eternity in hell. He ransomed his life so that you could live in his father's house. He said, you know the way to the place to where I'm going. And doubting Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Thomas cracks me up. He's got that foot in the mouth, you know, syndrome. He's one of those guys that just says out loud what everybody else is thinking. And maybe, maybe some of us in the room, you're like that. You just say it, but you're not afraid to say it. And you say it with confidence because you, you believe in, in him. And you're not just afraid to say these things like Thomas is saying. He's bold enough to express his doubt while everybody else was probably thinking these exact same thoughts eternally. Jesus is like, you know the way that, uh, to the place to where I'm going? And Thomas is like, no, I don't. None of us know. And some of us, some of us in here, we have doubts and fears about what Jesus says and our lack of belief in who he is causes us to hold ourselves back from having any real dialogue with him about those things. Thomas was not afraid to openly express his doubts and neither should you. He's a big God. And he already knows what you're thinking. He already knows what you're struggling with. And so if he's a big enough God to handle our concerns, we can come to him letting him know these things that we're thinking on the inside. And so Jesus answers Thomas and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. I want to share something with you. Before we put that picture up on the screen, let's think about our church experience for a second. You guys pull up to our parking lot, you get your kids out, you get your your spouse out, y'all walk in, hopefully you're happy and holding hands. You walk up to the front door at the main entrance or the kids' entrance, and you got like Mr. Hugo and and Cole and Amelyn, they're they're opening the doors, greeting you to church, saying, welcome to church, we're so glad to see you today. You uh, you go drop your kids off, you get them settled in, and maybe they're crying, maybe they're not, and you're like, okay, we've made it to church. And then you go see Ryan and Amanda Shelley over at the cafe and you get that caffeine fix, you know? And you're like, okay, now we can actually talk to people because we've had some uh, liquid caffeine. Okay, so then you go and you approach your friend that you haven't seen all week long or you haven't seen in a couple of days. Y'all are having a conversation. We open up the doors, you come in, we worship, we sing songs, we, we open up the Bible and we acknowledge this as the way to live our life and the truth that we need to navigate this world and the thing that gives us life to live. Like that's, that's our church experience, right? Amen? Y'all tracking? 
That's ours. Here's what these guys would have been experiencing or what they had been familiar with. Because rabbinic teaching had taught them that the tabernacle, you had this gate. I think we got a picture. Uh, So here's a picture of the tabernacle. You got a gate that there's on the east side. And you come in to this outer court. And what that is, when they came through that gate, that was actually known as the way. And so when they come into the way, then they would go into the holy place that you would see that they called the truth. Now, the next layer of that was called the Holy of Holies. And they, you had to have a high priest that once a year, they would go behind the veil of the Holy of Holies and they would have a rope tied around their ankle. And these people would go in and make sacrifices and plead for the people. And, and they had to tie a rope around the ankle because if they, did, if they didn't, uh, if like the glory of God was too much for them and their sin was just too rampant, they would actually die and they would have to drag this high priest out. And so it was like this crazy uh, ritual that these people had to go through once a year. And so, so you enter the gate through the way, you enter the holy place of the truth, and then you enter the holy of holies through the, through the life. And so what happens is you have Jesus now here boldly proclaiming, hey, you guys have worshiped and thought that this was the traditional way, that this, that this was the way, this was the truth, this was the life. But I'm here to tell you that I come, the word made flesh came down to you. And I'm here to declare that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And we know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that that veil was not just torn in two, but it was torn from the top down because God himself split the veil and no longer do we need this high priest to go on our behalf but now we have Jesus Christ who is our high priest according to Hebrews 4 it says therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus the son of God let us now hold firmly to the faith that we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He is that high priest that we need. And this verse right here, this I am statement that is boldly proclaiming that he is the way, the truth, and the life is what we've been building up to this entire uh, length of this sermon so far. This huge thing that Jesus is telling Thomas and he's telling all of the other disciples, he says, look, you, you You say you don't know the way to where you are going, but I'm here to tell you, I am the way. He is the way. He is the way towards this heavenly home that he's talking about. Jesus is the way that leads to the Father. He says, listen, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And I'm here to tell you that I have to go away, but it's a good thing because my father's going to send something better that you need. And it's called the Holy Spirit. And yes, I know you're sad that I'm going, but I promise this is going to be so much better because now Holy Spirit is going to dwell on the inside of you and it's going to be inside you. And you're going to experience that power and the love that God has inside of you. He is the word who spoke all things into existence. Go read John chapter one, the very first chapter of this book. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. 
God, he sent the word made flesh into this world to redeem a fallen race of people whom he had made in his own image and in his own likeness, a race that had fallen into rebellion and sin and had turned away from God. And Jesus not only points the way to our heavenly father and our eternal home, but he is the way. Because listen, salvation is something that we experience with, with him, but it's not just that. It is found in Jesus, in the person of Jesus. And nobody comes to experience salvation except through the faith through in, in the Son, Jesus Christ. That path that you have been searching for and you've been trying to navigate through this life, it is found in Jesus Christ and it has been with you all along. These disciples, they, did not, they didn't understand that when he was saying that, hey, I got to go away. Don't be sad. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It is okay. Don't you realize that if you know the Father or if you know Jesus, you also know the Father. And without Jesus, there's no way you and I could ever get to God. But because Jesus is the way, we have a way to God. And when Jesus, when the word put on flesh, the way came to us. The way came to us. That's why Jesus has the authority to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. There was a divide between our depravity and God's divinity. There was this gap that we could not fill on our own. And that came to be filled through Jesus Christ because he is that way. And God cannot look upon sin. And when Jesus was beaten and broken and stabbed in the side and bled out for you, he did that. And God had to look away from his only son because God uh, cannot look upon sin. And Jesus now bore the weight of your sin. And Jesus experienced separation from his father so you could experience what it means to not be separated any longer. So he says, I'm the way. And he calls himself the truth. And he calls himself the truth because how you view Jesus will eventually determine how you view yourself. So if we don't view him as the truth, we're ultimately going to buy into lies about ourselves. And that's not a place where we need to be. Like when you know, know something is true, you have like this unshakable confidence, right? You'll say whatever, you'll do whatever, because you know it is truth. And if you're not 100% positive, you're going to be a little bit gun shy. You're going to be timid on what you say. You're going to be uh, timid to, to stand up, to speak up, to be the, the different opinion in the room just because you know what's true. But listen, if you're not 100% positive, you're not going to do that. You'll be timid because you don't know it all as truth. So if we're going to be a church that is for people, for our city, for this region, we have to have a unifying understanding of what is the truth. Or we will be like Thomas and doubt and question and never stand for what is actually the truth. Paul talked about it in Ephesians. He said, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, the teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching This is a good one. I need y'all to catch this one. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth, 
<laughs> Y'all catch that? They try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. But some of us don't know the truth about who God says that we are according to Scripture because we don't have confidence or knowledge of who is God's Son, who is the truth. And we've got to come to an understanding of that. And because of that, now we have this terrible situation in our culture today where truths have become lies that now need convincing that they're truth. What's, what's that mean? We say things like, hey, God loves you. God sees you. God loves you so much, his son died for you. But you hear that and you're like, I don't know if I accept that. Because I, I feel condemnation. I feel ashamed. I feel like I believe all these lies that are going on in my head. I, how can I acknowledge that you're telling me that Jesus loves me, that God loves me? I don't feel very loved. And we try to get you to hear this and accept this truth of God's love for you, but you believe it's a lie, and we're just trying to convince you that this truth is actually truth. And we have thousands of people uh, who don't even believe in the identity of how God created them, and they feel like there's something different. The truth says that they're this, but they the world has told them that that is a lie. And now it takes convincing them that this lie or that this truth is not a lie, that it's actually truth about them. Truths have become lies that now need convincing their truth. And we live in this day where relativism, it prevails, like especially when it comes to morals and lifestyles. That phrase, my truth is my truth, it is used in order to reflect what really is today's highest expectation on people, and it comes packaged and shown to us to look like tolerance. That's what it comes packaged as. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is someone who doesn't know the truth assumes that all lifestyles and moral convictions, they are equal because they believe that it's assumed all truth is personal. My truth, your truth, my truth, your truth, your truth. You do you. I'm going to do me. If you like it, I love it. I'm good with it. We have this mindset in our culture, but Jesus put it beautifully himself in John 8. He said this to the Jews who had believed in him. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We love to quote this, this verse, especially all the charismatics in the room. Like, you hear a verse like this, you're ready to take a lap. Come on now. Like, you're ready to march them knees, knees up high, lift up a shout. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But here's the thing about a verse like this. You have to know the power of the truth before you experience the power of the truth. He said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Know it. Then the truth will set you free. Truth is only powerful when you come to a knowledge and an understanding of it. You can be in proximity to truth and not be changed by it because you haven't come to know it as truth. I looked up that original word used in the Greek for the word know, and that word is gnosko. Gnosko, at least that's how Google pronounced it to me. <laughs> gnosko is yes, to know, to acknowledge as, to understand, to have an understanding. 
the last little definition on that gnosko, it was a Jewish idiom to describe uh, an intimate relationship between a man and a woman. So you can get married and still not know your spouse until you know your spouse. You know what I'm putting down? You got to know them before you know them. And you can be in proximity to this truth. And you can hold the word of God every single day and be feel like you're close to it and hug it and do all these things, but it will not change you until you open it up and submit yourself under the truth that is within inside this word. Proximity to the truth does not mean that you have knowledge of the truth. And if you want to experience the power of the truth that is in it, you have to open it up and submit. That's holding to these teachings that Jesus said. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And finally, he tells them, I am the life. Our life is not our own. We were not created to be the center of the show. We were not created to make everything about ourselves. We were created to give God glory, honor, and praise because he is the one that gave us this life to live. We have life because the one who gives us life gave us that breath to live. He did not create us because he needed us. God is a big God and he is life in and of himself. So he does, he can do whatever he wants with or without us. Jesus is life and the source of life. And some of you have been trying to live your best life separate from the one who gave you life. And because you separated your life from his, you're actually not living your best life at all. You're living a version of your life that you think is best and, and, and it's not what's best for you. But as Christians, when we surrender to him, we are giving up what is good for the sake of what is best. And if you want to live your best life, you're going to find that only in Jesus. Everything else is going to fade away. Our lives are but a vapor. And we're here for a minute, we're gone the next. And people come to church every single week, either for the first time or they've been coming for a little bit and they stand in the back just trying to figure it all out, trying to figure out what's going on. But people usually come to church in search of something. They might not even know what they're searching for. Maybe it's community. Maybe it seems out of a duty, like they just feel like I'm supposed to do this thing that checks a box off on my list of things so God will bless my life. Maybe they're at rock bottom. Maybe they're an addict. Maybe they've went through a divorce and they're just in search of of something more, something called life. They're trying to figure out, hey, is God real? But no matter what the motivation is for people to come to church, the point is they are here and we cannot let people come to church looking for life and only find us. They need to come to church and find God. They need to come to church and find life. They need to come to church and they need to hear the name of Jesus, not just on this platform, but they need to hear it in the parking lot. They need to hear it at the cafe. They need to hear it in the lobby. They need to hear it in the kids. They need to hear it when they're walking out. They need to hear it. They need to be so full that they say, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. And then we'll get up here and we'll say, hey, listen, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is what you need. And so we point them to him. And then we say, where Jesus is, this is 
is the way to the Father. Where Jesus is, that's the truth of who you are. Where Jesus is, that's where you'll find life and you'll find life abundantly. If he is the way, things cannot be my way. If he is the truth, then my truth is not. If he is the life, then my life is not my own. Earth is his footstool and everything that exists became because he created it and formed it for his glory. That's the truth. Jesus is the way. And he came to give you life because he is life. And so he died a death that he did not deserve to bring life to you, to show you the way out of this dying world. This is the way to get to heaven. This is the way to go if you're lost. This is the way to live your life. This is the way that will lead you from hell to heaven. This is the thing that will give you purpose. This is the who that will go ahead of you and prepare a place for you. Have you met him? Like I said, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of fancy points to pump you up. I'm just trying to point you to the one who's going to give you all the things that you're searching for. And so my, my question for you is, can you have a moment of vulnerability and honest reflection and just say, Jesus, I'm lost. That without you, I don't, I don't know the way. I don't know how to make it home. God, I don't want to be lost anymore. I want to know the way because I know you who is the way. And if you haven't had that, listen, our team would love, love, love to pray for you. I've asked the prayer team to hang out in here after we dismiss. Please don't leave this place without getting right to God. Come to them. We know that it's like, okay, he's, he's asking us to give our life to Christ, but what does that look like? What does that mean? If you will just come forward and have the boldness to talk to these people after everybody dismissed, they will walk you through that. They will make sure that you know that you know what you're doing, and they will lead you through this prayer, and they will speak life over you and pray over you. You have been given this moment. Today is the day of salvation. We had somebody get saved at the last service, and I believe God wants to save somebody else because, listen, when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. And so if, if everything that I say today is just for that one person, the last service, that's okay with me because I'm just telling them about Jesus and I'm going to celebrate with all of heaven because one sinner repented. But you also have that same opportunity.